This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. To be honest, I didn't know anything about NFTs. Well, I knew a little bit. I knew that like JPEGs of gorillas were selling for millions of dollars, and I thought this is BS. Like this is like this is like everything bad about the art world on steroids. But then I had this discussion on my podcast. You're about to listen to it. And it's about NFTs. And it blew my mind, the real functionality of NFTs. And it reminded me of the internet back in 1993 or 94. I was on it then. I was one of the first people actually making websites. And I built a a business that way. But it reminded me how everyone thought the internet was useless. Like, oh, you just put like, you know, uh, your diary online. It's no big deal. I'm like, no, 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 this thing's gonna have enormous business use. That's what I feel about NFTs now. The the actual functionality and use cases of NFTs, it blows my mind how many businesses can be created and will be created probably in the next few years with this thing. Enjoy it, and there's part one and part two, they're both released today. I started riffing in part two on all these different business models that could happen. It blew my mind, so here goes. Tim, Andy, Josh, we're going to talk all things NFT. Tim Collins, I know for a long time. We've worked together for, I don't know, like 14 years, something like that. Yeah, 2008. 2008? Yeah, we were both writing for um, a bunch of the same websites. Welcome to the show. We're going to talk about this amazing project you guys are doing with NFTs. But I think nobody understands. I don't even fully understand what an NFT is. Can you explain... What the heck is the NFT? And everything I see is like, oh, these apes, these digital apes sold for $145 million. (laughs) Like it either is like, man, why am I not getting rich with this? Or this has got to be a scam. And and I will tell you, Josh and Andy know the apes better than I do the board apes, um, which, which is considered, you know, it is considered the, the blue chip of the industry. It's not alone in the blue chip st- status, but it is certainly it is st- certainly a status. I, I kind of joke around and refer to it as a digital country club. But this is where th- this is all the cool kids that you actually want to hang out with, as opposed to the stuffy you know, <laughs> folks that that are in the traditional uh, country well, country clubs of sorts. I don't, I don't like to hang out with anybody really, <laughs> so it, 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 that's neither here nor there. But what is this NFT stuff? Like, like, is it digital art or so it stands for non-fungible token as opposed to all other currencies? You know, the word fungible means, uh, you can transfer dollars to euros, to stocks, to, you know, and you can transfer Bitcoin to Ethereum very easily. It takes seconds. And these are, you have to sell them on a market. So they're not easily quote unquote fungible, but but what does it mean? It's it's been used in the context of digital art, like oh, you know for sure that this JPEG was made by Kanye West, <laughs> but like who cares? Like why is this a thing? By the way, most of them are PNGs, not JPEGs. Actually, it's much easier when you're doing right. Uh, so some pixelated art. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and I think we can we can round robin this because everybody's got a little bit of a different take. I, I think getting an understanding of the, what fungible and non fungible is the first step before you even try to explain it. So, for instance, you have a birth certificate. I have a birth certificate. They basically look the same. They give similar information, you know, where were you born, 
the fact that you came out with a full head of hair and I may not have, you know, that stuff's not on there. But, you know, we have our time of birth or, you know, the date, uh, how much we weighed. The thing is, I can't give you my birth certificate for you to use and you can't give me yours. Same thing with the driver's license. That's the idea of non-fungibility. Fungible means we could exchange them. Nothing would be lost. I give you a dollar. You give me four quarters. For instance, I can like hypothetically, someone could create a business where my medical history is an NFT and I can control how people use my data by giving different types of access to this NFT of my medical records. I'm, I'm trying to think of a real functional yeah. use before we get into the more artistic uses. And that's where it's going to go. You're, you know, an NFT of yourself, NFT me or whatever you want to call it, where your driver's license, your college graduation, you know, uh, graduation certificate or your high school diploma, your high school GPA, social security number, you know, driver's license information all the way down to, are you a donor or not? All these things can be, created in a way that can be verified. Everybody has this worry about privacy though. So it's how much do we want to put on the blockchain? Blockchain is ironically the ultimate truth. Everybody talks about, oh, you know, people are going there because they they want the black market and they want to hide money. You can do that through Amazon if you want to launder money. Go buy one of those books that's $40,000. You know why? Because it's just a cover and blank pages, but it's a transaction that cleans your money. Um, but blockchain actually gives you the ultimate truth. We've seen projects that have sold, things have gone wrong. People have been able to trace that back and find out what's going on. So from a, and that's a little off topic, but from a real world standpoint, yeah, we're going to see things like medical records. We're going to see things like your college diploma and your college transcript. How many CEOs have we seen actually fake their, their college degrees? I mean, I can think of a half a dozen off the top of my head. And we've talked about this uh, in the past that that erases this problem. All of a sudden, now I can go to a centralized place and see a verified trend, you know, a verified transcript by multiple parties, multiple and, independent and, parties that have no vested interest other than verifying. And let's just explain like how this is created. So so Bitcoin is based on this concept called blockchain. I think I think. By the way, I'm just taking it to a very basic level because even blockchain, I don't think is a, there's a very clear understanding of this out there that blockchain is essentially a list of verified transactions that have happened on Bitcoin, for instance. So Bitcoin's blockchain is a list of all of the transactions that have ever occurred on, on with Bitcoin since 2009. And the reason why it's important is because there's technology called cryptography where you can't, you can't, um, make a fake, uh, you know, block in the blockchain. Like it's, it's, it uses cryptography to make sure that if you see something is on this blockchain, it's verified, it's secure. It can't be forged. Uh, there's no, there's no very little chance for fraudulent activity on the blockchain itself. So if a medical record or if a birth certificate is on a blockchain and I don't know, the U S government stamps this block as yes, this is James Aldrich's birth certificate, then everybody can have comfort that this is not a forged birth certificate, for instance. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. And we can let Josh or Andy jump in here. I know uh, they've had some more, some uh, different experiences than I have in that. Oh, well, I, have a, to... I, I have an even broader question for you guys. You uh, uh, what's the use of Bitcoin if I can just use blockchain technology? <laughs> we all use Ethereum. So I think 
<laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm beginning to wonder in general, like it, it, somebody even had this argument with me that was interesting. He reversed it on me that Bitcoin is actually valuable because it has no use. And yeah. so it's just a kind of store of value, but we're going to use Ethereum for everything else. Do you, Andy or Josh, do you, either of you guys own any Bitcoin or do you guys run like me with Ethereum mainly? Um, I have a little bit of everything. I've been in since 17. So you got in a good time. So I've I whenever I I'm I'm divest I'm vesting out of one coin and all all that I vest out of I put three parts Ethereum one part Bitcoin so I'm I'm leaning towards Ethereum but I still use Bitcoin as a store of value just quote unquote just in case I think I used to be kind of the reverse <laughs> of that I I I probably entered the space around the same time as Josh maybe late 2017 early 2018 or so um, but only in the past year have I really started putting kind of a much more significant percentage of my, my, um, you know, just my net worth into crypto in general, but it mostly goes into Ethereum now. And that's probably just driven by the fact that I'm kind of obsessed with NFTs now and, uh, you know, just trade JPEGs all day. But that's a good reason because you see the use case and you feel not only excited, but giddy about it. Like, I feel that giddiness is translatable into this, I should look at this as an investment. Whereas Bitcoin, yes, you can feel giddy about the kind of um, theory behind it. Like, but but you know the, the reason the Bitcoin is sort of like the god of all the other cryptos. So there's a reverence towards it. But again, I, I, because all of these projects are done in Ethereum, I feel Ethereum is eventually. I'm. A, I guess it's almost cliche now to say they're gonna. You, you know, Ethereum's gonna pass Bitcoin, but. That's what I kind of believe. I, I almost feel like Bitcoin is more equivalent to dollar bills and Ethereum is more equivalent to land, property, the world in general. Like there, you know, it, it, I can walk across it. I can have a use case of it. A dollar doesn't necessarily help me in every situation. But if I've got access to land that's growing trees or has water, you know, Ethereum just has so many more uses in terms of what we're all doing. And especially in the NFT space, Ethereum is the number one thing that we're using. Okay, so so let's explain this to me. So we'll get to the digital art in a second, but let's say I have a business idea. I'm going to make um, NFTs of divorce agreements or, or, or wills. So uh, w my will will be an NFT and when I die, various people with different public keys into this NFT will then get money dispersed. So this kind of supplants or takes away the need for contract lawyers. So using NFTs and Ethereum, this could wipe out like a, a multi mega billion dollar industry. At least that's one, that's one small use case, but tell me how one would make an NFT using Ethereum. Real, real quick. And and I can let these guys jump in on uh, like the minting process. But one thing is the examples you're giving are real world. What is going on right now is more a little bit more in the speculative world and the collectibles right. world. And so we're going to get to the the kind of broader use cases over time. Right now, what we're able to do is we're able to see speculation get a better understanding of where are those cases, where are those logical real world use cases versus where's speculative, collectible, fun, art, photography, 
Right. Um, this is sort of like how the web developed between 1994 and 1999. At first, people didn't know whether the web was going to be a commercial medium or a artistic medium, uh, actually. And it's the same thing happening with NFT. So, okay, tell me then what, what's going on with NFT art? Well, you guys have a real quick, if we can circle back to the minting question, these guys have a mint coming up. So do you guys want to go through just a real quick on the process? Yeah. When you, when you did that? Yeah. There's um, various ways you can actually go about it depending on what network you're doing it with. Um, so with Ethereum, it would be you're getting all your artwork done first, then you're making your smart contract. And then all of those PNG files go into the smart contract. And that's one way you can mint for the public. Like they go in, they access the contract or the website. Wait, so how do, how do you do that? Just, just walk me through it. I don't understand. So um, I don't know much about the actual coding, like the input, but essentially a developer would build a contract on Ethereum and then that's what handles everything as far as when the public goes to mint. You have like a main contract. You could mm -hmm. you can either, like when we did ours, we set it up on the site and you would go to our website and it automatically interacted with the contract. So when you press mint, it directs the contract to generate an NFT for you. Are there websites that help you mint new NFTs? Yes, there's sites that that help you mint. There's sites like when we did our creation, you know, we created the main contract and there are two different ways to do it. One, you, you can create, if you're the creator, you can produce a website where James Altucher can go there and just press mint. He connects, he, you connect your wallet. I should not talk with my uh, hands on video. You connect your, your wallet like a MetaMask and you press mint. It comes up, says, okay, you need to sign this transaction. It's going to cost this much money. That gets recorded on the chain. You press, all right, we're good to go. Sign that, press mint. And the contract then generates, the program generates an NFT for you. We don't know what it's going to be until it's produced. At least that's the way we did it. But then how do I, let's say I have a, a photo myself that I want to make an NFT because many people demand photos of me. I'm an incredibly good looking and... <laughs> I figure I might as well sit make some money off this. So I put a I want to put a photo of myself in what what do I do? And then mint it. So there are there are actually quite a few sites that you can go and upload a JPEG or a PNG and it will produce the contract for you. Cause it's a it's I'm not a computer programmer, but it's a fairly simple program. And then uh, I can put it on a market and yes. sell it. Yes, absolutely. Um, you can even mint directly off of, create some directly off of OpenSea, which is the, the most common place is, is interacting with the contract there. And how many, how many um, pieces of digital art or objects are in NFTs on OpenSea? <laughs> OpenSea.ai. Andy, any guesses? Probably over a billion by now. <laughs> Millions. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly, but yeah. OpenSea is definitely the biggest NFT marketplace. It's more, it's, it's, um, Kind of the go-to marketplace that's used for digital collectibles. There are some other platforms that are more uh, tailored to, to artists that are producing like one-of-one -one pieces. But buying, selling, trading NFT collectibles almost all happens on OpenSea at this at this point. And from the creator and aspect, it's the OpenSea has one of the easier user interfaces to actually go and upload a collection to if you just wanted to be a single artists, you know, putting artwork out one at a time rather than doing a big gener uh, generative collection. And what are some of the, what are some of the NFTs that people are making and uploading like today? What are right now, probably the most common, um, is what 
what's known as a PFP project or a profile pick project. And they're usually, you know, avatars, different animals, um, pandas, koalas that just have kind of various traits. And they're usually a collection of between five and 10,000 pieces. And those, you know, the PFP projects right now are kind of more or less dominating the market. So there, there may be anywhere between five and 10 new projects dropping every day. Um, you know, big collection of these collections of these uh, mostly hand-drawn, sometimes pixel artwork, sometimes 3D profile pick projects. And, you know, that's kind of the the big thing right now. That has been the flavor of the month. Like, why would I need to buy one of these? Why can't I just take one? Well, so you can take one, but here's here's the thing is most, the projects kind of started off as that profile pic, this is kind of fun. Look at this new cool thing. And then once those started generating revenue, the, the project leaders looked at it and said, okay, we, we actually have a community here and we have generated all this ETH in, in revenue. Let's do something with it. And so what you're seeing is these roadma- roadmaps or white paper develop. And as an owner, you might be entitled to a revenue share. You might be entitled to go to an event. Uh, you can take and use these um, these NFTs as tickets into events, as your, you know, your rite of passage into things, a revenue share, merchandise dropping, video game applications. It's no longer just right click and save. Right click and save doesn't get you into anything that those projects are doing. There's so many different roadmaps out there. I know I breeze through that. There are so many different things of whether it's merchandise or 3D models. Um, one of the ones I had, you know, they were, hey, we're having a party in New York City. You know, show your NFT and and this gets you in. And you can't just right click and say that it's me. Uh, as much as you think that's easy, it's not just show your phone. You know, there's other verifications on it. It entitles you to other artwork. You know, you can get drops where the project managers will, you know, the project development team, they'll create new NFTs and the rest of the world may have to buy them and you get one. You know, it's just going to be, you're going to wake up one morning, it's in your wallet. Uh, think of it like like a spinoff from a stock or even a, you know, we've got revenue distribution, which is like a dividend yield. So Right click and save. It's a tongue in cheek way of somebody who doesn't understand sticking, you know, sticking their tongue out and go, yeah, I can just do this. And they don't even see what they're missing. They don't realize that, you know, somebody who bought a cyber Kongs way back when is collecting $80,000 a month in, you know, from their banana tokens. Right. And it sounds like a different language. But these things actually exist. Subducks in doing that, their that's the thing that really needs to be emphasized every time somebody asks, "Well, can I just save it to my phone?" Is that there's the utility aspect to NFTs um, because you can verify that you are a legitimate owner of a piece in this particular collection. You you know have benefits that go with that that are defined by the creator of the project. And like Tim said, it could be a ticket to a show. Um, if you can prove that, you know, you own, you know, a piece from this collection, it's actually funny. We have a guy on our team, several of the members of our team are in the board API club. Um, and there are, you know, that project is just so big that there are a lot of, um, kind of famous athletes and musicians and people buying into that particular project. So there was a show, um, uh, recently 
kind of near where one of our team members lives. And the musicians are also part of the Board API Club. So one of our team members reached out to them, said, hey, you know, fellow ape, I would love to see the show. Any chance you could hook me up with a ticket? And they gave him backstage mm -hmm. passes because he's just, you know, in a, a member of the same club that they are. And of course, like that was just kind of like a, you know, kind of a side deal they did. Most of that actual utility comes from things that are defined by the the project creators. Um, like what's an example, another example? You know, Tim mentioned airdrops. Airdrops describes when a, a project will gift you essentially free NFTs in like a subsequent collection if you happen to own one of the pieces from like the Genesis collection, for example. Oh, th there's one other thing. Not to, not to, sorry to cut you off, but this one will resonate with James. So there's two two different groups, uh, Deadheads and Glue Factory, and they're both producing shows. I'm waiting to see how Glue Factory is going to resonate with me. Like what, I know, I, 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 I own quite a few Glue Factory, so I hope it resonates well. But um, you know, if they end up producing a show that is successful, the NFT holders are sharing in the royalties. I don't have any Glue Factory. I, I need to get into it, I guess. The floor is under point one. It's it's kind of a, like a roll of the dice. It seems insane not to not to take it on those. Anything that has a little bit of potential, I try to get at least one or two of them. Now you see, you know, I've just missed the boat on so many good ones. Yeah, I have I have four glue factory. I actually have the number forty two rarity that I I drew off of the mint. But uh, the thing there is, there are some of these that are developing shows, comic books. Um, you've got the whole you know meta hero universe. They're paying out royalties if if they're picked up. If we're talking about Netflix or Disney or somebody, a streaming service, picking up any of these shows, the NFT holders in many of these cases are looking at royalty rights. If their NFT is used in that particular show or just in general by being part of the collection, we're seeing a big push in the entertainment side of things. Oh, well, this reminds me of how like uh, David Bowie collateralized his future royalties. This was this was uh, about 15 years ago or so where he made these Bowie bonds where mm -hmm. his future royalties off, off of a certain set of songs uh, would would go out. He, he borrowed 700 million against them and then he would pay out, you know, interest and people made a lot of money. And, and there is but, a royalty. There is a royalty project. I haven't gotten involved in that one, but you can buy different music royalties. That one's a little pricey. It's a little, <laughs> little, little out of my price range. But right you now. could imagine business models where people uh, tokenize or NFTize a percentage of their home. So yes. instead of just borrowing against your home, you can now say, "Okay, I'm going to take 10% of my home, make it an NFT, and people can buy and sell it." First off, uh, they're, they're although you're probably NFT. getting into you're probably getting into STO people security. People are, are kind of starting tokens. to do that with their NFTs. Yeah, like, so, there's so, some high value NFTs out there right now that people are um, you know, fractionalizing, and you fractionalizing. can kind of you know you can put up 50% of your NFT, create a bunch of tokens and sell them to people, which kind of gives you liquidity to go do whatever you want. And then a bunch of buyers can kind of uh, try to ride the wave as, as the value of, of that particular project in increases. People have been doing that with physical art where you can sell essentially shares of it through NFTs. And then when the art physical art sells, it gets distributed down. So I, I understand that where there's like real utility and, and I could see that, but like who's collecting 
digital, like what, I don't feel the need to collect digital art really, but maybe I do. I don't know. Like what's, what's the need for that? What's the demand for that? In terms of collecting the art, you have some, you actually have some other companies that are working on ways to display your digital art in your home. Digital art gives you a different medium. You know, whether it's generative, whether it's just created, it gives you a, a different medium and the ability to do different things than you can do on a canvas. You know, I heard it really described well is there's an art in programming. When you're programming what comes out on the other side, there's there's an art to that uh, as to what ends up being creative from the language that you use to program. Okay, no, that's a great example. So I could imagine if the creator of Unix, like one of the, first really widely used operating systems were to take some of his code to make Unix. Like this was the first draft of, or let's just say this is the Larry Page. This is the first draft of the code for Google. And that's never been a publicly released before B he's saying, this is it. My signature is on it. This is Larry Page's, you know, it, it, I could see how that could be a collectible as opposed to me just having a screenshot of the code. Like I would be fascinated. Well, no. And so some of it though, is not just the screenshot of the code. It's what the code creates. So, you know, artists are writing this code to create these visual images that come up, whether it's, you know, Mm. whether it's an abstract, whether they're moving images. So one uh, gentleman did uh, an art and in the background, is basically where the sun is in the sky based on where you live. And if I sold it to somebody else that lived in a different part of the world, it would change for them when they opened it up and it would be based on the sky behind them. You can't really do that easily with a painting. You know, if I if I paint something, it's on canvas, I sell it to you, it is what it is. So there is the ability to use technology as well in in these programs. So, and I'm sorry to... to interrupt i know i've been interrupting a lot but you like in that case time, it's good <laughs> in that case wouldn't it be like an app I, I would upload an app to the app store and then that's an app that you just described it, it, you could you could do an app if you wanted everybody in the world to own it you know and you didn't want limited sure you could do something as as an app if you wanted to but then you, you lose a little bit of the collectability feature of it um the uniqueness of it definitely dies down and look we're a society in general we collect people, everybody collects. They like to have things. I see. So, so you can make that, like what you described is sort of like an app, but I could say, look, I'm going to make it art instead of an app. So some people are going to want this use case and I'm only going to sell it to 15 people. And so yes. it's just a drop. It's like, it's like Supreme dropping like only 20 sweatshirts. Like that's an, a rare drop of an app as opposed to like just a broad release of an app. Yeah, I mean, ask yourself, why do people pay $380 for a t-shirt when I can essentially reproduce the t-shirt myself? I can go down to the store and say, okay, it's, you know, it's just got this print that says Tuesday on it. And because it was made by somebody famous, it's $360. Or I can go buy a Hanes t-shirt of similar quality and put Tuesday on it. But there is a status of that. And right now, Gary V talked about this fantastic. The status of today is digital. We live so much of our lives online. And think about the last time you actually went and hung out with friends versus how much time you spend online. When I was a kid, we went out, we ran around, you know, we played. My son now, you know, 19 years old, he's online. When he's not in class, he is online talking to his friends. 
Yeah, no, I, I get it. We live in a digital society now, so we are adapting. The things that used to be traditional in real life, physical, they now have more importance in a digital world because we spend more time in a digital world. The NFTs represent the digital world. It's the first start here. Right. And, okay, so you, you've convinced me. Not only there's collectible value, depending on what your interests are. So some people collect something, some people collect others. So not only is there collectible value to some NFTs, but as this develops, we're going to see more and more business value and business use cases and so on. Branding. I mean, Andy, Josh, what do you guys think of what what happened to the brand of those professional athletes that went into Board Ape Yacht Club? Oh, skyrockets. Every, they get more exposure. I mean, it's insane. The, the The amount of followers that they get, the amount of people that now interact with them, they reach a whole new audience. If you think about a professional athlete, professional athlete, you know, was, was appealing to guys like me, you know, football players and basketball players. I grew up watching that stuff. Now professional athletes have a whole, a new avenue to, to connect with people that may not be sports fans, but all of a sudden they see an athlete in the same collection as them. They become fans of that athlete and they didn't have that avenue before. And it's they sort of like an asset for doing it too. Right. So it's sort of like how Snoop bought a virtual house in the metaverse. It's an NFT that he owns. And so you could live in this collection of NFTs called the metaverse, it's like virtual real estate. And you could be next door neighbors with Snoop and interact with him. Yep. Well, it was, there was a lot of folks that were on metaverse trying to buy land near anything, any location, blue chip location, collection. location. It is any blue chip collection. It was, do you guys have any land? I don't have any land. I, I feel terrible. I don't have any land, um, but the, you know, just you mentioned athletes. There's um, there's some interesting stuff going on in, in the kind of sports world. Um, there's the last year's NBA Rookie of the the Year, Lamelo Ball, set up his own NBA, um, not NBA collection, but his own personal NFT collection, which kind of acted as um, kind of like a new like digital fan club in a way and he would sell these nfts in different tiers and each tier entitled you to you know more and more exclusive benefits as you kind of climb the tier rank um for lamello ball related kind of stuff so you know you could if you owned the highest tier nft get like into a private discord channel with him and do face-to-face -face or something i don't know if that was a, an actual benefit but so that's like a patreon tier in some sense like all these things are like something it, else it but is, is but kind you, of a uniform but you can't way resell you can't resell your patreon to uh, someone else right and that's the brilliant part i think of nfts and that's going to get into what you guys are doing which i think is so fascinating the fact that there's resale value i can't sell a patreon tier but i can resell an nft Think about a sports team, though, like the New York Knicks. You sell your season tickets to me, and all of a sudden the Knicks stink because, you know what, it's the New York Knicks. And, you know, we've we've gone through many, many years of, of struggles and trials. Well, I want to sell my tickets, you know, or I can't make a Thursday night game, so here you go. I'm going to sell it to somebody else online. Right now, all that money goes to Ticketmaster. Ticketmaster takes a big chunk of it, and there you go. Well, with an NFT, if they NF, if they made their tickets NFTs, now I can sell it likely a lot cheaper through OpenSea or somewhere else. The Knicks could even create their own marketplace. And the Knicks are going to get a royalty on that sale. So instead of instead of, you know, 
Ticketmaster takes seven and a half percent. The Knicks take seven and a half percent or five percent. Now they're making double money on their ticket. This is this is brilliant. This is this is actually just blowing my mind. So this basically standardizes the idea of a transaction. So yes. anything that was difficult to transact before, NFTs actually make it. You could make transactions with this. Like I could sell and, a and we can verify. I could sell a and then we ticket. can verify it. You could verify so it. There's no fraud. Uh, and there's no extra fees by by you know third party companies. It's brilliant. I love it. There's gonna be a trillion business models with this. The royalties are also such a game changer because if you think about, um, you know, you know, hypothetically, there's an up and coming photographer who's just getting started in a career who will eventually be huge. They sell some of their artwork as NFTs when they're young and unknown for a relatively low price, but they put, say, a five or ten percent um, royalty payout for all of the secondary sales. So I sell you as a photographer something for a hundred dollars, and when I am a famous photographer a few years from now, and you resell my piece of artwork for a million dollars, I get a ten percent cut of that. It's brilliant because that doesn't happen in the that doesn't happen in the artist community right now. Nope. It doesn't, which is why NFTs can be such a game changer for independent artists. I, I love on it. that too, even taking out, as far as like artists, even, even writers, you can take publishers out now. Mm -hmm. um, you can literally upload your entire whole book as an unlockable content. James, on James, we can do an NFT for your next book. Yeah, that's yep. really interesting. Let's do it. I'm, no, seriously, we're, we can do it. Because what, what, what I do is um, I'm taking a collection of my podcasts and rewriting them into a book. It's all my podcasts with writers like Judy Bloom, Ken Follett, uh, Chuck Palahniuk, or I don't know how to say his legend, but all these great writers. And he will remember you up. for that, by the way. <laughs> he does. He says, I can't pronounce your name either. So don't worry about it. But, uh, he, he's really great. He wrote fight club, really great writer, but, uh, I want to make a, a book think like a writer and he's, I'll make it as an NFT. This is great because even when you self-publish with Amazon, they take 30% off the top. So, yep. which is much better than publishing with a, with a mainstream publisher it's you have different there's different pros and cons but here i have total control yeah. uh it's just that people don't under it's not widely used yet like so two more questions and then i want to get into your project a what is it ethereum that drives the nft universe is it cardano is it solana what 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 are the top three and what's the order of magnitude that what what crypto is powering these nfts i mean so i think we all probably all have our own view here but Right now, Ethereum is is far and away number one. Um, Solana is is certainly one of the big up and comers. You also though have your independents, like you know you have Dapper using their own blockchain on Flow. Uh, they have Flow, and you see Wax being used quite a bit as well. Which these are more these are proof of stake, so they're they're significantly lower in terms of transactional cost. Well, we've seen what is it, Tezos. Uh, that's that's picked up a little bit. You know, we tried to run our our project in Matic, which is on Polygon. Um, yeah, we found out most people don't really want to convert over to Matic. The you know maybe Weth, which is just wrapped Ethereum, so that you can use it on Polygon. Um, but far and away, it's Ethereum. I see it as number one. I would say next to that, Solana is is the hot up and comer. Someone told me the other day that he was just comparing Ethereum and Solana. 
that there was $64,000 worth of transactions done on Solana that day and something like $120 million worth of transactions yeah, on Ethereum on it. that it's, day. It's, so, it's still, it's, I mean, maybe these guys disagree. Yeah, that is a slow day. It is, it is Ethereum and then it's everybody else. <laughs> like, yeah. Hey, thanks for coming out to play today, boys. But it's still a the- this is still Ethereum's game. So, so why wouldn't if people were anticipating future earnings, why wouldn't Ethereum keep going up? The worry, the worry becomes it, it switches eventually gets to the proof of stake, and you you have a, a a harder cap on the increase in value versus the proof of work concept. There's just not as there's not as much incentive to drive the price higher if, if we end up on proof of stake. I if I mean I don't know if you guys agree or disagree. I, I think it should be valued higher. I really the scalability do. issue has always been the thing for yeah. ever with Ethereum. The more use it gets, the higher the transaction costs go and it just gets astronomical. But That's why we're Ethereum, seeing all the layer twos. Did, did it, yeah. Doesn't Ethereum 2.0 solve that problem? The the newly created Ethereum 2.0? It's still been pretty bad. It's supposed to. Um, and you know, there was just the London hard fork a month or so ago. And yeah. um, you know, that that made um that made transactional costs more predictable. Um, there was less kind of uh, high and low fluctuations in gas prices. Um, however, it also made it so that you couldn't really kind of capitalize when gas prices dipped in order to, for example, buy a new NFT. We've really seen over the past few months um, just kind of the average gas price for transactions. It just has seemed to skyrocket. I think that has a lot to do with a lot more people kind of coming into the space, getting into NFTs. And so it can be kind of prohibitively expensive to enter the space at this point if you don't have a little bit of capital to play with. Um, so I think, um, you know, long term, assuming that the user base, uh, the number of people in the NFT space continues to grow, a lot of these projects are going to have to start using side chains and other networks that are a little bit more efficient and keep costs low. Um, you know, you can really kind of shoot yourself in the foot sometimes on, on some of these really desirable projects as they're minting, trying to get into them, spending. I, I lost a full Ethereum um, trying to mint a project recently, which was at the time about $4,000. My transaction failed. I didn't get anything out of it. I just threw that money away. I just lit it on fire. So, you know, it's it sucks when that kind of thing happens. Um, it's kind of the name of the game, though, you know. Um, it's just bound to happen every once in a while. So, in order to kind of minimize the amount of money that you're wasting, um, you know, it, it just something needs to change eventually. And whether whether that's moving a lot of the trading to side chains, which is something Vitalik Buterin suggested on Twitter recently, you know, NFTs just kind of need to move off the main net or some other which solution. Which we did, and nobody wants to move off the main yet, net yet. <laughs> it, well, it's just so easy. It's just so easy. I think as soon as, I think really if OpenSea because it's you know the kind of primary marketplace everybody trades on right now. I think if they um, implemented like some sort of super easy to use side chain, made the user experience really mm-hmm. nice and easy, and you could you know you know I think in a perfect world you you could use OpenSea just as you do now, but um, there's some sort of side chain implementation that reduces transaction fees by you know. 95% and we do, we really need to get to that point especially as more people are coming into the space because it's just it's getting ridiculous. Yeah, and to give you for instance James like uh 
to give you a stock analogy, remember trading in the 80s and 90s, you called up a broker and, hey, I want to buy 100 shares of IBM, and they'd say, great, and it's going to be $87 commission. That's that's similar to what gas fees are. The worst part, though, is you call up your broker and say, hey, I want to buy 100 shares of IBM at $105. And he says, okay, the commission's you know $87. And he puts in the trade, goes up, the ask just jumped to 105 and a quarter. Your trade didn't go through. By the way, I collected my $87. That's what happens right now. Um, that or that can happen. And that's what Andy was talking about. And but instead of eighty-seven dollars in his case, four thousand. I mean, I've had several fail, and it's been you know three hundred and fifty bucks here, seven hundred dollars here. It adds up, you know. But 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 again, I thought I thought the ultimate implementation of Ethereum two point was supposed to solve a lot of these issues. You know, I think Vitalik said that the plan with ETH two point was to kind of have this big rollout where they do this you know, huge release and all these features are kind of released at the same time. And they say, okay, this is ETH 2.0. Um, this is the new thing, but they, they, I think they kind of changed the approach and they decided to release new features more incrementally. So the London hard fork, which happened a month ago was the feature that was supposed to, you know, make, um, transactions more predictable, make the gas fees associated with them more predictable. And that was, you know, one feature that was on the ETH 2.0 roadmap. So who knows how long it'll take before all of the kind of roadmap items are released. I think it'll probably be another year or two, maybe. Um, so, so you know, who knows how long it'll take to get there. Um, I, I do hope ETH 2.0 starts to kind of solve a lot of the issues that we're seeing in this space right now, though. Well, okay, so let's talk about what you guys are doing because it sounds, I, Tim's told me about it and it sounds super exciting. Well, they're doing something different. You get to hear two different projects here. Okay, tell me. I'm, I'm curious because you guys are actually doing stuff and with these NFTs and I wanna, uh, I wanna get a sense of how you use these things. The reason why I wanted them here with me as well because their project is so different than other things that we're seeing out there that I feel it... The two projects that we're doing are very, very different than most of the other things that exist out there right now in the NFT world. So it's nice to see really what's the next gen, what are the next thing coming. So for instance, our project is uh, is NFT gaming. Okay, we we actually are building a gaming company, not a game. This the the first game we happen to be building though is one that is near and dear to my heart. Um, it is called Robo Rampage, which is Fighting robots, you know, we're not talking ones you sit in, but if you think of shows like Robot Wars or BattleBots, if you're familiar with that at all, it is lining up to just kick the shit out of somebody, just completely destroy their robot. Now, the advantage of NFTs is I can own every single part of my robot. So I have a base robot, and then I start equipping it with NFT weapons, NFT armor, NFT drivers that can make it go faster or have better attack. And I have all these different enhancements that I can equip to my robot. Again, I own every piece of these. So if I decide I'm tired of the game, typical video game, you're tired of it, you stop playing, that's it. If you bought anything for the game, you're out. With an NFT game, I can go resell those. Somebody else who's just coming into the game. Um, somebody great else if it who was, wants to collect. Have you thought about making your characters or avatars fungible with characters and avatars from other games 
Because that's never happened before. Like, if I own weapons in one game, I can't sell it in a game made by okay, someone else. Okay, so so for us, for us, every NFT in this first game is already mapped so that it can go into game two. But also, our fights take place in arena. If you own an NFT from another community or another project that is just the, the standard seven fifty five or seven twenty one or eleven fifty five token, you can plug it in and watch the fight. And during the fight, you can actually catch an NFT when the robots are battling if an NFT part comes off of one of the robots. Nobody has to pay for that or anything along those lines. It's in something we did for the NFT community because we do see the NFT community as tight-knit and should help each other grow as, a, as opposed to competing and trying to be cutthroat. There's so much out there growth potential. So, for instance, if you have a Board Ape Yacht Club uh, NFT, you can say, hey, I want to plug this in. It You don't risk your NFT. Nothing happens. It's basically, it, it, I jokingly say, it's the right click and save, but it's prove, prove to us that you have the ownership, which is very easy to do on OpenSea. And we'll go ahead and plug it in the background. You can see it on the game. You can see your NFT floating by in the background or in the crowd uh, watching the fight. How did you make your game? Like, it's hard to make a game that it is. It days. is very hard. We have uh, we have 12, uh, well, 10 programmers, two blockchain experts, uh, one animation expert, uh, two artists, and then three people that are just kind of overseeing everything. I, I'm the project lead on it. Uh, but the game is designed so it's a strategy game. It's wait, so it is, what, what's the game called? Can I go to the website it, right now? Yeah, you can go to the website. It's uh, roborampage.com. R B O or R O B O rampage.com. Now, the, you're not going to see gameplay up there. You'll see gameplay in our Discord. You'll see gameplay on our Twitter. The game will be out. Beta will be out very end of October uh, or first week in November, and the game will be on uh, open to the public. Uh, around December 1st. We just started minting now. But with this game, it's a little bit different because when you go in and, and if my robot fights your robot, James, we can either have a fun fight or we can choose to stake, which means risks, one of our NFTs. And so if I beat you, I will randomly get one of your NFTs off of your bot, a weapon, a armor, this a is skill. Great. And we're, so, okay, so what's, so am I just going to win though if I buy the most equipment? No, no. So our our thing is created. Um, you'll like that the scoring system is based on Fibonacci, but it's created on parity, meaning you can only fight within your rank class, and there's no bot. You can't build what we call a meta. You can't build a bot that will hit 100% of the time, or have a bot that will miss 100% of the time. So the scoring system is set up that you can only fight within your rank class unless you challenge somebody but when you go in to issue challenges there's little icons next to whoever you're going to challenge and there's a skull and crossbone if you're going to challenge somebody that has more than an 80 percent chance of beating you there's a 100 level if you're on par and then there's a little baby if you're going to challenge somebody that you have an 80 percent chance or better of beating or or you could i could you could you could create odds right you can create odds but we do it in a way that there's a bot power scoring system that we've run through thousands and thousands of simulations that no bot can win 100% of the time when it's when it right fights within its class. There's a cat and mouse portion of the game too. If you want and you're a really high stakes person, you can come in and you can say I want to fight you for ETH. 
in our case, it's WETH because it's wrapped Ethereum so that the gas fees are basically a penny. And you can put up, you know, 0.1 WETH. And I match it. We go into an arena. We each put up 0.1. It's winner take all. As a game, we take nothing. It is winner take all. We just have the the fight platform. So there's, you know, there's no bookie take or anything like that. You can fight for Ethereum. You can fight for NFTs or you can just fight for fun. So once you launch, I basically will go to your site and I'll say mint your bot. And then well, you can go using, mint it now. You don't have to wait. You can go um, mint. Right, right now it says I need um uh, yeah, we're, installed MetaMask. Yeah, we'll we'll walk you through that so you can also take part in theirs. <laughs> so, so okay, so so I have to get some Yeah, you have to get MetaMask. So we had originally minted, we had originally set up our mint in Matic, which is Polygon's native token. So that's a, a yeah. you know, a side chain. Um, we like to think of it as Ethereum is the highway, the side chains are frontage roads. Right now, every single car is on Ethereum. Nobody is on the frontage road, but nobody wants to pay the small toll that they need to pay to get off the road to get on the frontage road. And instead, they'd rather stay in a traffic jam and overpay and, and stay on Ethereum. Um, we had minted it was less successful than I hoped because we were using Matic and the feedback we predominantly got was, Hey, we don't want Matic. So we have our mint paused for a couple of days as we're changing our system to allow, um, WETH to be used, wrapped Ethereum to be used for the mint. And we did put some, uh, unrevealed bots up on open so people can go buy them for the same price. And, and they don't know what they're going to get until after they buy it, then we'll mint and release for them. So right now they just get an ID and a placeholder. But, uh, you know, the game is built so that you can expand. There's packs. You can add weapons. There's a strategy component to it of kind of a cat and mouse of being able to see the other robot before the fight. And so you can adjust your strategy because you can see their robot. But then they get 45 seconds to make changes before you start that you can't see. And you get to do the same. So there's a component of bluffing to it of am I going to show all the things that I, you know, my strengths, am I going to be heavy on attack and then immediately switch to defense and speed and try to counterattack? It is more of a strategy game than it is, you know, point click and whoever's the strongest. You can't buy your way to wins at all in this game. You have to be smart. So this is, this is amazing. I love this. So I basically can go to roborampage.com. You know, once your minting is back up, I can say mint my bot and I have a bot and I can start playing yes and everybody that's in this first mint run is going to be able to play in the alpha which will be out this month which is which is exciting um we have some gameplay up on our site so you can see everything is animated uh so it is kind of fun we did a little mortal Kombat idea of there's every bot has its own intro then you get to see the fight and then there's the kill shots at the end um, which you don't want to be on the receiving end of the kill shot. The other thing is when you, if you decide that you're going to stake an NFT, like I want to risk an NFT, you're not guaranteed to lose one, even if you lose the fight. And so it's still done based on a percentage. If it was a really close fight, you're actually less likely to lose anything. And you can't risk anything more than you can win. Meaning if I have something, a really rare weapon and a bunch of common ones, and I'm fighting somebody with a bunch of common weapons, I can't lose anything more than my common weapons. I can't lose a very rare, valuable weapon to somebody who just has common weapons. So we created parity across this game so that it comes down to who has this as opposed to who has this, you know, who has brains as opposed to who has money. Um, And it's kind of fun. Now, 
did you use any off the shelf like you know like a white label game that already existed for fighting or did you just start from scratch no we started from scratch and this is built That's up amazing. Actually, this is actually built up based on chaos theory so it's it's kind of fun and its randomization is based on chaos uh, one of the programmers on the on the team is well versed in chaos theory and so uh, like for instance if somebody tries to hack and figure out the system on on what they need to do our randomization of numbers runs like every millisecond and it's based on things like hash rates and keystrokes and how many people are online on a certain network which is constantly changing every single millisecond so by the time you can figure something out it's already the the number system that we're using is already changed to the next thing so unless you can predict one of 13 different things or all 13 different things that are all done based on randomness anyways you you know you won't be able to to hack the system which is what we want we don't want anybody to be able to cheat and that's the big thing with blockchain is you've got blockchain to help you you know uh, prevent people from bringing in fake weapons or being able to hack the system to start with 999 hit points instead of six. Um, so you've got blockchain to check that. And then we added the chaos randomization so that it was continually changing. We don't even know what the next number is going to be. Uh, oh, man, this, so. this is great. I, I, I'm going to definitely play it when it comes out. You'll have to let me know. Uh, and I'll tweet it out when it, when it comes out that, uh, uh, we could play this. I'm, I'm excited to do it. Now, and real quick, the reason why I wanted Andy and Josh on here is I'm really excited about their project too. And that's the nice okay. thing about the NFT world is you can be excited about your own and you can be excited about somebody else's. So theirs is completely different. I definitely want to give them a, a chance to tell you about it. Uh, not to take away your question, but theirs is so different. I can't even describe it from the beginning. <laughs> So I will let them do a quick description. I had a quick question, Tim. You mentioned that you guys have different like intro animations for each one of the bots. How many different bot kind of base machines or characters do you have? There, there are 18 and we're rolling it out in three different phases. So there are six in the first phase. Uh, second phase in November, we'll have another six. And then in, in December, we'll have another six. And they all have different characteristics. They all have different intros. And the animation was done, so everything is everything is layered, so every piece of the bot can be moved and animated, fall off, uh, which makes it a little fun. Do you guys have different types of um, like attacks and armor? Like, could I? Is it like a flamethrower better against like a bot that has wood on it, for example? Things like that. Uh, and you're talking rock paper scissors logic, right? So there's some minor rock paper scissors logic to it. But that's going to expand. That's that's actually a really hard to write up in terms of having eighteen bots. And I think back to uh, you know rock paper scissors lizard Spock. You have to balance. Yeah, it. and you have to balance it. So what we did at the beginning to balance is between there is attack, damage, um, durability, speed, and hit points. Different bots have different strengths and weaknesses, whether it's speed, whether it's attack, whether it's defense. And our system is deflationary, meaning you can have the most base bot. And if you use it so many times, you rank up. Your, your metadata scores will actually increase on your NFT. So your attack will go up. Your defense will go up. Your rarity doesn't change, but your scores go up. This is just a random idea, which is probably not good, but you should make the entire game an NFT so other games can 
take your can either redo stuff to your game or put their game and put your game in there inside one of their games or so our fight platform is based that way that other others can use the fight platform wow that's okay we built that specifically did you just steal my idea you 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 teleported to the future <laughs> and stole my idea and went back in the past pretty much i feel like that's so, a movie anyways okay i want to turn it over to these guys though So stay tuned for part two, where we go a lot more into the different types of business models for NFTs. Now you, you heard what NFTs are, but now we're going to see how you can make money on them. And it's much more than just selling digital art, which is kind of the BS part, but it, it goes way beyond that. And in fact, well, I'll say this in the intro to part two, there's, there's an interesting experience I had the week after we recorded this podcast. <laughs> 